Hey everyone, we hope you're having a great week. My name is Eric Johnson, and along with my wife Candace, we are the lead pastors of Studio. We are based in Greenville, South Carolina, and we just want to take a moment and say hello and say thanks for listening to this podcast. So with that, let's get right to it. All right, sit down. You're taking my preaching time. Listen, um, Candace is my pastor, not Eric. When we were at Bethel, I refused to have, I refused to call Eric my pastor. It was Candace. And uh, uh, so it's good to be here. It's so good to be here. This is Phil Manginelli, who's pastor in uh, Atlanta and Smyrna at the square. Um, it, it is really good to be here. Uh, you may not know this, but I get an update every week about what's going on at this church. And uh, I, I ask questions, I get information. <laughs> We're talking at attendance and presence and budget and just numbers and kids and the whole thing. I wanna know all of it. I have all the questions the whole time. And uh, I just wanna say it is, it is special what God's doing here. And uh, Eric's told me a lot about what's going on, so I've already been encouraged before I came, but just coming and being in the room right now, uh, just the presence of God. Uh, just the feeling of engagement and connection with people. It's just special what God's doing here. Um, and maybe if you haven't, if you're not going around to a lot of other churches, sometimes you don't always know how special it is, but it's special what's happening here. And so it's an honor to be up here and be able to preach. Uh, we got second service, which means there's no time limit at all. We just go however long. Uh, right now, I, uh, it's, it's West Coast time for me, so it's about 4.30, so... I am so glad I'm preaching the week before Bill and not after Bill. Can I say that right now? I'm just very grateful that, uh, that I am, am, am before Bill, not after Bill. Um, do you have your Bibles? Do you have your Bibles? Uh, get them out. Uh, uh, I, I said this, uh, if you don't have your Bibles, look around, find a Christian and uh, sit next to them and read their Bible. Uh, also, if you're pulling your iPhone out right now, that does not count as your Bible. It's uh, your, 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 listen, your iPhone won't be going to heaven with you. You know, we'll be going to heaven with you. Your leather-bound Bible will be going to heaven with you. So we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Ultimately, I'm really going to get to John chapter 15, but 1 Samuel chapter 1. And um, I want to, um, I'm going to preach something that I've talked about over the years, but I felt coming in prophetically for, by the way, this is the biggest pub table I've ever preached from. I don't, like, I'm trying to figure out how to operate with it. I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. I, um, coming in, there's something that I've, you know, taught on for years. And it's been on my heart that I'm going to talk to you about today. But, but ultimately, I, I, if I could just talk to you a little bit about even uh, kind of the stage that you're at in the church. <clears throat> Eight months in. Uh, things are beginning to settle as far as who's here and kind of the people that are buying in and the community that God's called here. You very much are still in the foundational building stage where, where God's kind of laying the foundation of people that he's going to build on for all that he has in this community. And I think there's something important that, uh, that we need to together as a community get a hold of. Uh, one of the things right now is, is that the whole game right now is culture. Establishing a culture of his presence, establishing a culture of giving, establishing a culture of engagement, establishing a culture of community, establishing a culture of authenticity. That right now what's being developed is culture. And culture 
is established by a group of people headed in the same direction together over a length of time. Uh, the, the picture that I, I would give you is if you grew up at all with either an above ground pool or you knew somebody that had an above ground pool, maybe you didn't have enough money for an in ground pool, so you got the above ground pool. And uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Did they have that in the South? <laughs> 630, listen, don't make me think the four o'clock was better, okay? Uh, I'm gonna, come on now. Uh, 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 so, so the above ground pool, a friend across the street when I was in elementary had an above ground pool. And so all of us neighborhood kids would go over there and jump in and, you know, it was kind of up to here on me and we'd swim. And all of a sudden, we'd be swimming for a while and all of a sudden one of the kids would yell, whirlpool, and we all knew what it was. If somebody yells whirlpool, you all gather together at one spot on the edge and you all just start walking in a circle on the, out, on the edge of the pool. And you just roll together, walking in a circle on the edge of the pool until all of a sudden, all of us going the same direction for a length of time begins to create momentum. And all of a sudden, what we were kind of pushing on at first, what we were kind of leaning into at first, what was hard at first, all of a sudden begins to pick up momentum. And what we were pushing at first begins to actually push us. It begins to propel us. Where if a kid, a kid came after we'd been doing this, if they jumped in, they would get caught up in the momentum that had been created by this group of kids going all in directions at the same time. It's one of the reasons why it's so important to get same vision and unified because when there's, I don't want to get into this, but when there's division, what ha- it's, very hard to get, it's very hard to get momentum when people aren't headed the same direction. So if we yell whirlpool and one kid's going that way and one kid's going that way and one kid's going that way and a kid's going that way, it, it's very hard. But when you can get a group of people with same vision, <laughs> same heart, carrying the same thing, going in the same direction, that's when all of a sudden momentum begins to happen. And that's when people come into your community and just get caught up into the culture that's been created. So right now, what I believe is, is that God is bringing people into this community and he, and he is calling them together to be unified and just head in that same direction because right now it's about building foundation and creating culture. Now with that, here's what I would say. And I'm gonna, I wanna talk to you about what it is to carry the word of the Lord in creating that momentum. But, but God has, I'm gonna talk kind of macro level about the community doing this, but it very much applies to micro level individually in your own life as well. And it's around this, that God has plans and purposes <laughs> that he wants to release in the earth. The, the Bible is very clear on this. Psalm 133 talks about the plans of God, the purposes of God, that there are plans and purposes that God has. He has them for a, a, a church. He has them for Greenville. He has them for your life. He has them for your kids. He has them for your finances. He has them for your friends. He, they're, they're, he has them for nations. There's things that are on the heart of God. There's plans or purposes. And he invites us to partner with him to see those things birthed. He invites us to partner with him to see those established. On the micro level of your finances, God says, I have a plan and a purpose that I want to release through your finances. Will you partner with me to see that happen? 
but as a community, God has established studio because he has plans and purposes that he wants to establish in this community, in this city, in the South, and in the nation through this community of people and through this church called studio. So, so as you come into this environment, God is inviting people to carry those plans and purposes together to see them established and to partner with God for what he's wanting to do through studio. Are you with me on this? The story that we're going to read of Hannah in 1 Samuel 1 is a, is a prophetically profound picture for me. Because it's the story, if you grew up in church, you'll know the story of Hannah, but it's the story of a woman who was so desperate, who was carrying a desire in her heart, pressed in for it, and ultimately gave birth to it. And Hannah wanted a son, but it wasn't just a son that she was going to give birth to. She was going to give birth to Samuel. Samuel's a pretty key figure in the storyline of God because Samuel wasn't just a prophet. He was the prophet that was going to prepare the way for King David and the Davidic kingdom. And King David and the Davidic kingdom are a type and a symbol of Jesus and the messianic kingdom. So Hannah giving birth to a prophet, Samuel, who prepares the way for the Davidic kingdom, begins to mirror and reflect what we're called to do as a people in giving birth to moves of God that prepare the way for Jesus and the messianic kingdom. Okay, so, so, so Jesus, so, so he invites us in to do this. Hannah is desperate for a son. She wants a son. She's crying out for a son. Her husband is confused by it. He can't quite figure out. He's good to her. He gives her clothes and food. And he's better to her than the other co-wife he has. She's having kids. Hannah's not. Hannah had closed her womb. Uh, God had closed Hannah's womb because he was stirring in her a hunger. And so, so, so Hannah's desperate. Her husband comes to her and says, why are you so sad? Uh, am I not better to you than 10 sons? But he can't get Hannah out of this place of crying out to God for a son. So Hannah is before the temple and she's crying out to God. And she, she's got bitterness of soul and she's, she's praying, but words aren't coming out of her mouth. And this is where Eli encounters her. First Samuel chapter one, verse 12, it says this. And it happened... And she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved. But her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered, listen to this, and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And then here's her response. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. God was trying to get Hannah to a place of faith. One of the things that we have to realize is, is that when God invites us to partner with him for his plans and purposes, his plans and purposes are established on the earth through faith. 
It's people that are walking in faith that establish his plans and purposes. And so God's goal for you is that he would get you to a place of faith. But the way that we get to that place of faith is we have his word come to us. John chapter 15, verse 7, it says it this way. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it should be done for you. So faith is that realm of I'm asking what I desire and it should be done for me. Faith is that thing that gets results. It's the thing that sees things happen. But in order to access faith, I draw close to Jesus in intimacy. I, I, I draw close to him and I abide with him. But as I abide with him, he begins to speak to me. And as he speaks to me, his words begin to take up residence inside of me and his words begin to abide in me. See, this is what happened to Hannah. What shifted for Hannah was not that she was physically pregnant. Her husband could not get her out of that place of being sad, or it wasn't just sad, it was that place of desperation for a son. Her husband couldn't get her out of that place. He gave her clothes and food and he was good to her. But Eli did. And what happened with Eli was she, she didn't get physically pregnant, but she got a word. She got a word. And what she needed was a word. Because when she got the word, it moved her into a place of faith. Moved her, when she got the word, it moved her into a place of faith. But here's what I've realized, is, is that God, and in this environment, what, what you're going to say, I'm, I'm prophetically telling you this, that where you're at in studio, it's not just exciting, it's not just a company of people, like God is intending to do something through this place. And he is going to be releasing the word of the Lord about this place. It will come through sermons, probably tonight, more next week, but that's a different issue. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that, please. Uh, it, it, it's going to come through. It's going to come through sermons and scriptures you read. And I'm sorry, Amy, where you go? Father, we just pray. Father, we just pray for our children's pastor right now, God, just whatever conviction she's running from. Just stretch your hands out to our children's pastor. So, but, but words are going to be coming. I believe God is going to begin to release dreams. I believe prophets are going to be declaring things. I believe that scri certain scriptures and passages are going to become alive. I believe that there's going to be things coming from the pulpit. There's going to be a prophetic swirl that begins to happen. But, but here's what we have to do. It's not enough just to applaud it. It's not enough just to hear it. You have to carry it. God is inviting people to studio who will not just applaud the word that's coming for studio, but will begin to carry the word that's coming for studio. And this is what you have to understand. In the, in the natural, it's different. You know, my wife, we have three kids, 23, 20, and 17. And so when you're going through the, when you're trying to get pregnant, you go through kind of the ritual of the pregnancy test. And so, you know, uh, you're trying to get pregnant, and then you go down to the store, and you buy a pregnancy test, and you come home, and then, you know, my wife would pee on this little stick, and then put it on the toilet, 
And then uh, it takes three minutes. And so we would just sit in the bathroom and just kind of chat. You're just making small talk. How are you doing? How was your day? What are we having for dinner? What's going on tomorrow? And then is it three minutes? It's been three minutes. And you look at the stick. And if there's only one line, then life goes on as normal. And we go downstairs and have dinner and go about our day. But if there's two lines, <laughs> if a second line appears on that test, my life as I know it will never be the same. Things all of a sudden shifted. Now, nothing, it was three minutes. Nothing physically really changed, but a line showed up. And that line's telling us we're pregnant. We kick into preparation mode in ways that I never knew was even possible. And we're cleaning things and buying things and painting things. And I, like, it's because of a second line. When the word of the Lord comes, and it is not only coming, but is going to begin to come at another level for this church, because God is beginning to gather people, but now he's going to begin to get, release a word. Amen. So God's been gathering people, but now he's going to look at the people and say, I'm going to release some words about studio, and I need this community to not just applaud it, but to carry it. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not just enough to applaud. In the natural, when we get that second line, ready or not, whether we paint or not, baby's coming in nine months. Yeah. But in the spiritual, it's different. In the spiritual, we draw close to Jesus. He speaks to us. And then that word has to abide in us. We have to know how to carry it. This is one of the main things I've seen with people is I don't know sometimes if we actually talk about how do you carry words. See, Hannah, Hannah, Hannah carried, because she wasn't just pregnant. She had a word. She got up, and she began to carry that word. I'm going to give you three, uh, I'm going to give you three Ps, which he told me after the pregnancy test. I shouldn't talk about three, but I'm going to give you three Ps, <laughs> mainly because of this. I believe that this church doesn't have enough alliteration in your sermons. <laughs> I know your pastor, and I guarantee you, your pastor is not giving you enough point one, two, three, and four, and your pastor is not giving you enough alliterations that you can remember and go home with, okay? So I'm going to give you three Ps of how to carry the word of the Lord. First one is this. Am I right? Am I wrong? I'm not wrong, am I? And all of you people who like point preaching and like alliterations, write this down because you're going to love me. How do you carry the word of the Lord? First one, and, and this is both from a corporate level and then also individual level. And I actually believe this is both happening. I, I want this to encourage you personally because some of you need to start carrying the word of the Lord for your children and you need to start carrying the word of the Lord for your future and you need to start carrying the word of the Lord for your health and your city. But how do we carry the word of the Lord for our community? First one is this, you have to pray it. Now this may seem simple, this may seem elementary. You would be surprised how many people are not actually praying what God spoke. Prayer is actually, Mike Bickle says this. It's very interesting. Mike Bickle says about prayer, the simplicity of prayer is this. We go to God and God says, I want to do this. And then we turn around and say, God, do this. God's like, I want to pour out my spirit in Greenville. And then we go to God. God. Pour out your spirit in Greenville. That's prayer. At its core, that's prayer. At its core, God gives his word to us so that it will become fuel for our prayer life. 
that we would begin to pray what he has said, that we would begin to pray the plans and the purposes and the heart that God has revealed to us, that we would begin to pray those things. Some of you have that the Lord has spoken over your kids, but they're away from God. You need to pray the word of the Lord over them. As you're doing the dishes and your kids at the club and your kids at the bar, but you're saying, God, this is what you spoke over them. You called them out when they were six years old in Sunday school. And this is the verse you gave for them. And this is, and you just begin to pray. You need to allow the word of the Lord to become fuel for your prayer life. I should be able to ask you, what is God saying about your marriage? What is God saying about your kids? What is God saying about your finances? What is God saying about your city? What is God saying about your church? What is God saying about your workplace? And you should be able to tell me, this is what he's saying. If you don't know what he's saying, go get it. Go find it. Go ask him. And then you've got to take that. I find this. I don't pray over things. I pray what he said about things. I mean, I find myself not just praying for my finances. I find myself praying what he said about my finances. I don't just pray over my kids. I pray what he said about my kids. I don't just pray over my church. I pray what he said about my church. You have to allow the word of the Lord. And so there has, to be, there has to be a community of people that hear the word of the Lord for studio, take it, and begin to pray it. And I'm talking about you're, you're driving up on Sunday. And as you're driving, you just turn the radio off and you just begin to say, God, this is what you're saying about our community. This is what you're saying about studio. God, we just begin to declare this over our community. And you're driving throughout the day. And you know what God's saying about Greenville. And you're just driving through the streets of Greenville during the week. Just saying, God, this is what you're saying about our city. This is what you've said about our community. This is what you've said about our nation. You have to pray it. First one is this, you have to pray it. Second one is this, you have to prepare for it. Now, now, I want to tell you that this may be the simplest one, but maybe the most profound one, and that I find Christians love to make things complex and complicated. <laughs> I don't know if it's because we love the intellectual stimulation of complicated things, but Jesus was coming and simplifying things, and we like to complicate things. So let me tell you maybe the most simple but profound act of faith. It is preparation. It's preparation. It's actually doing something in preparation for what God said. In Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith passage, it says this. It says, by faith, Noah prepared an ark. One of the translations says that. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. Do you want to know why we know Noah had faith? Because he built an ark. That was the manifestation of faith that rain was coming. Sometimes, sometimes I, I look at people and I realize you don't actually believe what God said to you. And you want to know how I know that? Because your life is doing nothing to prepare for what God said. I'm not even talking about some like spectacular preparation. I'm talking about simple ways of preparing. You're not doing anything about it. Uh, you know, I think sometimes we pray for things and God's just wondering, like, can, can I even, do you even value what I'm saying? 
It's interesting that if, uh, I don't know if you're like me and my wife, but sometimes we're just too lazy to clean the house. We still want to clean the house. So we say, you know what, let's invite somebody over for dinner. <laughs> because we know if we invite somebody over for dinner, we'll clean the house. So we'll invite somebody over for dinner, and then sure enough, we go clean the house to get them over. But, but if I go to Eric and say, Eric and Candace, uh, man, we'd love for you to guys to come over on Thursday night for dinner. And Eric looks at me and says, all right, we'll be there, 7 o'clock on Thursday night. I'm like, great. When Eric tells me he's going to be at my house Thursday night for dinner, I believe him. I actually believe him. Literally, Eric's done nothing to ever make me think I can't believe him. Eric hasn't told me 10 times he's going to come and he's never come. He's actually true to his words. I'm like, well, I believe you. So when I say I believe him, I begin to prepare for this. So if you were to come into my house and I was vacuuming, say, what are you vacuuming for? Eric's coming over to my house on Thursday at 7 o'clock because that's what he told me he's going to do. And if you run into me at the grocery store on Wednesday buying, uh, buying food, you say, what are you buying food for? Eric's coming to my house at 7 o'clock and we're having dinner. I actually believe him and that belief manifests in preparation. If he had lied to me and was, would never was true to his word, he said, I'm coming over at 7 o'clock. I don't believe you. You wouldn't see me vacuuming and you wouldn't see me shopping because I don't believe him. So, so part of the manifestation of belief is preparation. And quite frankly, I think that sometimes God's just wondering like, do you even value what I'm telling you or what I want to do? We pray all the time like, Lord, more of your glory and more of your favor and more of your anointing and more of your presence. But then we do nothing to prepare for it. We have a, uh, one of the great things about being a youth pastor in the early days when my kids were little was we never lacked babysitters. All the girls wanted to babysit our kids. They were all excited about us. So, you know, Holly might come up to us and say, Benny, I love your kids. Your kids are so amazing. I just want to babysit your kids sometime. And I might say, all right, Holly, we're actually going to be running errands on Saturday at 2 o'clock. Can I drop them off at your house? Holly would be like, yes, I love your kids. I would, it would be so awesome if you brought them by my house. So I show up at 2 o'clock with the most valuable possession I have, they're not my possession, but you get my point, of, is my children. I show, up, I show up at their house, I walk in the door, and already I'm not liking this. There's a fire pit with a fire going and no fire guard. There's a door open to a swimming pool that doesn't have a fence. There's some knives on the counter, some open chemical body, bottles. There's a, there's a pit bowl. There's no way I'm dropping my kids off at Holly's house. Do you want to know why? Because she doesn't value my kids. She can say she does all she wants, but she doesn't. And here's why I know. She's done nothing to prepare for them. She's done nothing to actually prepare for what she says she values. Your life should look different when the Lord speaks to you because it should look like preparation. Small steps. It doesn't have to be big steps. It could just be small steps. But I'm moving towards what the Lord said. I'll give you a silly illustration, but it's a true illustration. When I, when I was in my 20s, I, I started, I read a book called uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. How am I supposed to be done? Uh, so, so um, pretty soon. So um, I read a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in it, they talk to you about how to, how to schedule your week. And you lay out your roles in life, 
and then you lay out what you want to accomplish with that, and then you put it in your schedule. So I'm like, I'm a child of God. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I'm a friend. You know, you go through this list. And at the bottom, I'm just like, I'm probably 24. At the bottom, I put this. No joke. I put, I'm a developing world leader. So I really, I, no joke, I put that on the bottom. And I'm going through what do I want to do as a husband? What do I want to do as a father? What do I want to do as that? And I get down to the bottom and I said, what am I doing about developing world leader? And I had read all these biographies. I've read so many biographies. They're my favorite book. And I saw a common theme through them. Whether it was a politician, a preacher, CEO, they all golfed. <laughs> and so this is, this is the, I, I'm not joking right now. I put down there and I said, get better at golf. And so I put it in my schedule. I started going once a week, got a membership at a club, got, I got lessons, and I actually, and if somebody would have said, what are you golfing for? I'm, I, which this hasn't worked out real well, by the way, 20 years later. <laughs> but if they said, what are you golfing for? Because one day I'm gonna be on the course with some world leaders and I'm gonna need to be able to golf. It's, it's, it's the things where like, I actually believe what the Lord's saying. And it shows up in how I'm preparing. The third thing is this is, and this is a big one is, is so you've got to pray, you've got to pray, you've got to prepare for it, you've got to proclaim it. This is a big one because I, I, when the Lord invites us to partner with him, I'm going to use, I'm going to use finances because finances are just so easy to illustrate with this. But the Lord says, I want to do something through your finances. And so I'm inviting you to partner with me in this. So many times the Lord invites us to partner with him and then we begin to undermine his plans and purposes with our words. You have a choice. You either partner with him or you undermine it. And the problem is, is we don't actually believe what the Bible says when it says there's life and death in the power of, there's power life in, in, in the power of our tongue. That we don't actually believe the power of our words we don't actually believe it. And I know that because I see how people talk. I, my, my daughter, when, um, she was, when she was 15 and a half, she got a permit. She'd been driving for about three months with her permit. And, and we raised my oldest to be confident in life. But then I think we went a little bit too far. <laughs> and she's like, like uber confident. At a level where I'm like, just dial that back a little bit maybe. And... I remember when she was a little girl, we were reading a book. It was like a, 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 a Bible story about like Nebuchadnezzar who thought he was greater than God. And we just turned to her and said, Ellie, is there anybody greater than God? And she looked at us and said, I am. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I, I took a step back just in case lightning was coming. And uh, uh, I was like, sweetie, I love your confidence. I love your confidence. It's a little too far though, you know. <laughs> So she's, she's 15 and a half, been driving for about three months with her permit. And she is convinced she knows everything there is to know about driving. She's just convinced. She knows driving better than I do. And so she would just get in arguments with me all the time in the car. So we're driving back one time from this hour trip from some basketball stuff. I'm sitting in the back seat. She's sitting in the front. My wife's in the passenger seat. 
And she starts to argue. I'm trying to give her some input as I'm supposed to as a father helping her daughter learn how to drive. And she's just arguing with me. And I finally stopped and I said, Ellie, you have been driving for three months. I have been driving for 30 years. She looked at me and she goes, Dad, I've been driving for four months. I was like, that's my bad. That, that, that tips you over to the black belt of drivers. I don't, but like, so when she went to go get her driver's license, I was like, Jesus, I want my daughter to pass, but just barely. I want her to pass. I want her to get her driver's license. But if 70% is the lowest, that's what I want her to get. I just want to knock off some of that cocky edge that she has on her. Lord, let her pass, but like barely pass, like squeak by pass. I didn't go with her because CJ, my wife, took her. So Ellie calls me afterwards, Dad, I, I got my driver's license. I'm like, oh, I'm so proud of you, honey. What would you get? Come on, Jesus, 70%. What'd you get? She said, 100%. <laughs> I don't, I don't want my daughter driving scared, but I do want her driving with the sober understanding of the immense responsibility she has now because of the tremendous amount of power she now possesses when she gets in that car. I feel the same way about believers. I'm like, I, I, I wish that believers were more sober about the tremendous amount of power they possess in what comes out of their mouth. And that you're either partnering with God or you're undermining his plans and purposes. It's why it's so important that we have the word of the Lord. there's There's an incredible story about Zacharias. Zacharias, they were the ones that gave birth to John the Baptist. Zacharias is, is old. Him and his wife are old. And, they're in the te- and he's in the temple doing his priestly duties. And an angel, like a full-blown angel, appears to him in person. And says, you're going to have a boy. He's going to turn the hearts of Israel. And he just, he just gives him this whole prophetic word. And the first thing out of his mouth is, how can that be? We're really old. And the angel just goes... Um, he goes, listen, Zacharias, you're going to be mute for nine months. I always kind of thought it was a punishment. And then I realized it wasn't a punishment. He was trying to help him. No, no I, I, I mean this. I think the angel was like, listen, Zacharias, John's a pretty important part of the whole storyline of Jesus coming. <laughs> like, it's, it's kind of important that he's, that this, you know, goes well. And, um, and... And what's coming out of your mouth is just straight unbelief. So here's what we're going to do. Let's just put you on mute for nine months. So you don't screw this up. I'm going to help you out here. I, I, I legitimately think sometimes, guys, uh, I, I, think it's a, I think it's okay. There's grace for unbelief to be in our heart. I, I mean, the reality is this. The Bible says that... that it's out of the overflow of your heart that your mouth speaks. 
So the reality is what's coming out of your mouth is just a revealer of your heart. It's a little bit of a crude example, but you know that uh, like, like scientists will study scat or animal droppings because you can find out so much. You can find out from animal droppings where they've been, what they've been eating, whether or not they're healthy. And I just, I feel like the same thing. That if you wanna know what's going on in your heart, you wanna know where you've been, you wanna know what you've been eating, you wanna know whether it's healthy or not, just pay attention to your words. Because what's coming out of your mouth is what's revealing your heart. Sometimes I'm like, oh, you haven't been eating the word of God, you've been eating the podcast. <laughs> Am I allowed to go there with this one? I'm like, oh, you're not actually digesting the word of God, are you? You're digesting some young politician kid that you love their podcast. Okay, so I didn't say that first service. I just rebuked the second service on this one. So, so um, but the point is this. It's okay sometimes to recognize I have unbelief in my heart right now. Unbelief Unbelief is not a lack of belief. Zacharias believed something. He just was more connected to we're old than he was the word of the Lord. And so sometimes you're like, I, I, I don't have faith for my finances. That's okay. That's all right. Just stop talking. No, I, I, I just stop talking until you get faith in there, until the word of God is hidden in your heart, until you, have, until you are so connected to the word of the Lord that what comes out of your heart and out of your mouth is faith, not unbelief. It's okay to be quiet while you're allowing faith to grow in your heart. Zacharias had nine months, and if you study Zacharias, unbelief came out of his mouth nine months later after he was quiet. It's one of the most powerful prophetic words in scripture when he comes out and begins to prophesy over his son, John. I mean, it's powerful. Where did that come from? Nine months of God disconnecting him from this reality of being old and connecting him to the word of the Lord so that faith is what's coming out of his mouth. I, worship team can come up. I, I, I'm in this mode right now where as a community, so, so this is what has to begin to happen. We, we have to, as a community, I'm going to go back to corporate now. As a community, God, I, I'm just telling you this. I, I, I mean this. I, I'm saying this right now. It's the word of the Lord. God is going to begin to release a prophetic stream. That's going. I, I really believe that after this eight months of community and establishment and all this type of stuff, I think God is going to begin to speak at another level. And I think it's going to be dreams in the night for people. It's going to be scriptures that come alive. It's going to be prophetic words that come. It's going to be sermons that happen. But, but it's not just that the prophetic has to come. It's that a community of people have to hear that prophetic, hear that word, and say, now I'm going to carry it. And I'm going to begin to pray it. I'm going to begin to prepare for it. And I'm going to make sure that what's coming out of my mouth lines up with that. But on a personal level, we have to, I think that we have to begin to somewhat create a community that keeps each other accountable of what's coming out of our mouth. We started these things called Jesus timeouts. 
because Becky Johnson, who was the youth pastor, she's the executive pastor now in our church. She's 34 and I, she's been with us since she was like 20. And I could tell early on that she had a real call to leadership, a real gift of communication, different things on her life. So we began to kind of invest in her early on, but she didn't grow up at church at all. But I would start sticking her on stage to end worship to end worship after like a conference. So thousands of people out there, she'd get up there. She's so nervous, but she'd get up. Afterwards, I'd pull her aside and say, hey, how'd it go? She said, I don't think it was that good. She's a one Enneagram and then also just like super critical. She's like, I don't think it went that good. Uh, uh, it, it wasn't real clear. I don't think anybody's lives were impacted. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Is that what Jesus is saying about that? She goes, I don't know. I said, well, young lady, you're in a Jesus time out then. You go over in that corner right there and you go, you go stand over there till you figure out what Jesus said. She's like, are you serious? I'm like, yes, I'm serious. Get over there. I'd make her go. She'd go over, stand in a corner. <laughs> and she'd come back a few minutes later. I said, what'd Jesus say? He said it was really powerful. People's lives were changed. It was clear. Then that's what you're allowed to say. That's what you're allowed to say. And people get around us and like, I don't think I'm ever going to get out of debt. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, well, I don't know what he's saying. Well, you're in a timeout, young man, and you're in a Jesus timeout. You get over in that corner right now and you find out what he's saying about your finances and don't come back. Like, it's this type of thing. Because I guarantee you, Jesus isn't saying, I'm never going to. Jesus isn't like, hey, you, you're never going to get out of debt. I'm just telling you, Jesus is like, it's pretty hopeless. It's pretty hopeless. You're, you're in further than I can help. You're, you're beyond my reach, and it's hopeless, and you should just, like, of course he's not saying that. And we, we just have to be in this mode where it, it is about, it is about not undermining, but it's about the power of proclaiming what he's saying to establish his plans and purposes. Stand up with me and I'm going to turn this over. But I, uh, I was just going to come hang out and just invite myself up here to be with you guys. And at some level, I just honestly want to just kind of come see what God is doing. It's just been so impressed from a distance. But I, but I am here to tell you this. I, I'm telling you, the Lord's going to begin to release some prophetic stuff in this environment. But it's not just enough that it comes. There has to be a community of people that are taking it and then just beginning to walk around that pool. Just beginning to walk around that pool. We're just beginning to pray this stuff. We're beginning to prepare for this. We're, beginning to, we're proclaiming this thing. And it's a company of people. And then, and then you, you won't even get credit for it. In all honesty, you're not going to get any credit for it. But there's going to be people that start coming in in the years to come that just get swept up into this, into this prophetic momentum and the stuff that God's doing. And it's because a company of people in the early days just decided to pick up the word of the Lord for a community and for a church and what he wants to do and just begin to walk and begin to pray. I've begun to tell our church, I began to tell our church recently that, that, that I, I'm really believing God for our building to be paid off. And I'm beginning just to seed the ground because I know this, people will begin to hear it. And they'll go, I'm gonna carry that. And I'm just going, is there anybody that will carry this with me? 
Is there anybody that will hear the word of the Lord with me and just begin to walk around this pool together and we're going to go get some momentum in it? Some of you in this room, can I just be honest with you right now? Some of you, and I'm going to get back to personal, some of you just need to flat out repent tonight about, the, about what's been coming out of your mouth in regards to areas of your life that you've been discouraged in. And you may need to say, God, I don't know if I'm at that place of faith yet, but what I can do is stop talking until you begin to fill my heart with your word. Some of you, there's little acts of faith, of preparation that you're just not doing, and we're just going to get into that mode. So, Father, I just pray. Lord, I, I just want to release tonight over people uh, personally, God, that, that you would just release breakthrough in these areas. But I just, I just pray, God, thank you for the community of people that have begun to gather, call Studio Home. I pray that you would begin to put in them the word of the Lord for this place. That you would begin, that we would not just be a people who applaud the word of the Lord, we'd be a people that allow it to abide, that we begin to carry the word of the Lord. And together we just begin just to walk and get breakthrough in this thing. Just take just a moment with the Lord. I'm gonna turn it over, but just take a moment with the Lord. And just, just God, would you just speak your word to me? God, I pray that you'd release dreams and visions, that scriptures would come alive, encounters. Just take a moment with him. Thanks for listening, and we hope this talk benefits you in every way possible. For more information about Studio, you can go to studiogreenville.com or go to Instagram and look for studio.greenville. We would also love it if you would leave a review and hit those five stars. Other than that, have a great week, and we'll see you soon.